Well, hello, language hackers. Welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast with me, Elizabeth Bruckner, and of course, Benny Lewis. In this episode, we talk with Marissa Blasco from relearnalanguage.com. They created a huge survey across language learners that we found quite interesting. Marissa helps us understand how to break through the emotional walls that can sometimes occur when you're learning a language. Some of the things that we discuss are creating viral memes through language learning, celebrating diversity and inclusion, analyzing data across the online language learning community, self-care, therapy, and shame-busting, relearning their heritage language, and much more. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, you can let us know by leaving a review and telling us what's working for you at languagehacking.com forward slash review. We love hearing from you and we read every single review. Now for the interview with Marissa. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 62. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. My name is Elizabeth Bruckner. I'm here with co-host Benny Lewis, who's the founder of Fluent in Three Months. And today, today we are speaking with one of my good friends, Marissa Blasco. They are a polyglot and heritage language researcher. And quite honestly, they are 800,000 million other things. And we will get into that in this episode. Welcome, Marissa. It's such a pleasure to, to have you here today. Thanks. I'm super excited. I am just through the moon to talk to both of you. And yeah. Yeah. So let's let's dive right on in and uh, hear from your own mouth what your language learning story is. Okay. So the the quick one is that I grew up speaking both Polish and English in the US. Uh, Polish was my first language. Went to school in English. But by the time I got to around middle school and we had to start taking Spanish classes, my Polish basically fell apart. I never managed to learn Spanish. I went on to university and tried to learn Polish in university, got nowhere. And so I spent the earlier part of my adult years just, you know, waiting around in monolingualism. Uh, and after a couple of life changes, I decided, okay, well, I like to learn. I love to read. Let's just give this one more shot. If I spend you know, three, four, five years, like really cranking down on Spanish, I should be able to have like a basic conversation. It's turned out, <laughs> it's turned out it wasn't, it wasn't quite that hard. Uh, and after that, I just fell in love with the process, the experiences, the things I could access. So I started with French after that. Then I added some more romance language design and I learned Catalan and Portuguese. Then I finally said, I can't, I have to stop procrastinating. I started relearning my native language, Polish. And I've recently been just for fun dabbling in German. Yeah, pretty exciting. And you actually told me a story earlier. Now, here's the deal. Marissa and I have been friends for three years or more. And we have never spoken to each other in English. This is the first time ever. And it feels foreign. It feels really weird. We w met through Women in Language. And at the time, Marissa was about B2 in Spanish, and I was uh, B-ish in French. And we were both learning the opposite language. So we decided to start having a few language exchanges in French and Spanish. And since then, we've, I mean, we've only connected, you know, speaking in those two languages. So my question to you, because you were talking about you were in Mexico, and you, you had lived there for a time, you met someone else, you didn't even know what a polyglot was. Could you tell me that story and how this, how your languages exploded? 
Yes. So I hope she's listening right now. Um, I was living in Mexico at the time. I was going to emergent school there. And I just ran into this woman um, who had a really great vibe. We went out. To, she's also in the language school. We went out to coffee, I think it was, after. And we started talking about, you know, why we were learning Spanish. And she's like, oh, well, you know, I have my goals on, my eyes on one day being a polyglot. I was like, what's that? <laughs> what's that? What's, I've never heard that word before. And this was probably around... 2017, if I had to guess. Um, and Ingrid was like, oh, well, you know, there's this little conference coming up. Women in Languages Online. I think you'd like it if you like learning Spanish. And I, I think at that point, I'd also been dabbling in some French. She was like, I think you would you would really like this whole online language learning thing. Uh, turned out I did. <laughs> turned out it wasn't that bad. People are pretty friendly. Uh, and it opened up infinite doors, literally just totally accidentally by meeting one person in real life. And I, I really like uh, what you've been doing with what you've grown. Um, I think a lot of people may know of Marissa from their viral memes um, where they take an interesting twist on language learning and share it. And um, I, I've seen it reshared all the time. So uh, well, what gave you the idea to get into making that kind of content? So I, that's a great start. Nobody's ever asked me that. Um, so after Women in Language, I actually saw Elizabeth speak at Women in Language. And I was like, these people are so cool. I want to be friends with all of them. And I believe it was Kirsten Cable, who's one of the founders. I believe it was Kirsten. Shared something on a Facebook group, and I don't even really use Facebook. That if you want to connect with people, like let's just do a dump of all of our our social media handles, and everybody seemed to have Instagram. So I said, okay, you know, I'll start a language learning Instagram. And I didn't really have a plan for it at first. I just was going to post studying and you know other content. Um, but there's a lot of you know, I joke with all my friends. I'm like, this is the easiest and least stressful hobby in the world. I'm never mad at it. I never want to quit. Nobody ever has a bad day. Ugh. What could be easier? It's easy, even easier than knitting. Like, no, it's an extremely frustrating hobby. Um, and so I started venting in memes and that was it. It was just, I added some people from in language. I think I had maybe 20, 30 people who I added and added me back. I just, yeah, I just wanted to share the good stuff with Studygram and stories and all of that um, and then vent the bad stuff via memes. And it turns out those are, those are quite popular. Oh my gosh, I share your memes all the time in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge because it just takes the edge off. As a matter of fact, you did one recently where there's this little kindergarten kid and she's smiling so happy and behind her is her little brother crying and it's and the smiling girl is like, you know, learning my third language and the guy, the kid in the back crying is like learning my first new language. And like, this is so apropos. I call you the meme queen in my head. You are the meme queen for language learning. So we will put your um, handle. It's multilingual Marissa, right? We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, I think the important thing is that I don't, I, I just want to, I literally vent everything about my own personal struggles or struggles I see somebody else going through because I just, I need to laugh through it because if I don't, I'll scream. And I think that that has been what resonates with people is, you know, memes are so dime a dozen, everybody has a meme account. But I think that putting, making the joke on me or on my friends in a very loving way 
it helps people realize that if they're having a bad day, if they messed up their conjugations, their cases for the millionth time in the row, if they want to quit, if they are just, just want to move to a different country and never speak to anybody who does languages again, like it's, we've all been there. It's pretty common actually. And we can all laugh at it. And it doesn't mean that you're bad at languages. It's just part of it. It's part of the journey. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, another thing that you and I, Marissa, have uh, talked about in the past is, um, and I know like as a, like one of the early YouTube polyglots, I've contributed in a way myself to this concept that polyglots are just white guys, you know, dudes are the ones who, who like started the, the YouTube trend initially. And you would have that concept in your head that maybe it's not open to other groups. And I actually personally, even in my situation, had a frustration when uh, someone who I won't won't name came out with uh, uh, a book with research that kind of just propagated this myth saying that polyglots are not, not just white guys, but specifically left-handed white guys. It just really, it drove me bonkers because I, I felt like anyone reading this who isn't in this category is going to feel, um, okay, well, then it's my destiny to not learn languages. And that kind of thing drives me bonkers. And I even fit in a lot of the categories that it's specified. So what I really like is that lately you have um, put a lot of effort into and got loads of responses to your own survey that I feel is a lot more representative of the modern language learning community. And I'd love to hear you tell us about that. Yeah. So the the kind of context on this is I love, I adore the language learning community. It's a group of people that's absolutely changed my life. I've made so many friends. I've had just personality changing experiences. It's really, I think once you, languages aside, once you start connecting with diverse people, once you start having really deep conversations in a language that you didn't grow up speaking, it it just changes you. And one of the things I've, I've really wanted to do the past year and a half or so has been add to it help it grow and, and give back like in the way I received. And so one of the things I wanted to do, um, this came about last winter, uh, was basically just take on this survey because specifically, I know Women in Language absolutely changed my life. Uh, Sisters Only Language Summit has been monumental for some of my friends. Uh, a lot of my followers, I post pretty regularly, I would say, memes that are about language learning, but are feminist or queer, and people really resonated with that. Um, and so what last spring, I don't remember what it was, I posted some meme or, or I don't know, some piece of content um, that was laid pretty bare that I'm, I'm queer. And a lot of teachers and students just slid into my DMs and they were like, we, you too? I was like, yeah, like, yeah, you don't vibe? Like, yeah. Um, and they were just shocked because they had no idea. Whereas in my circles, almost everybody tends to be a woman or non-binary and many of them tend to be queer and they come from all corners of the world. And I was like, okay, like, let's, let's examine this. I don't know what this, what this is going to be. But with the help of some friends, we put out a survey, which it, it, was sort of a census in a way where we tackled on three big things, people's uh, gender, their sexuality, and their, I would call it ethnic, racial, geographic identity. Um, and then a lot of other experiences or influences they've had in their life, for example, how they see or don't see themselves represented in different uh, educational tools, 
it, whether or not they have been to conferences about languages, um, how, what their high school social and academic experiences were like, and really to sort of, okay, like, let's take on this myth of, um, and it, it's, it's hard calling it a myth, but let's take on this stereotype, I guess, that polylots or language learners or whoever are specifically white men who are slightly more likely to be homosexual was the original word left-handed on the autism or Asperger spectrum and have some sort of immuno situation like allergies or asthma or something. Um, let's take that on and let's see, first of all, is there, are there trends that we can find? And second of all, is there something like biological or maybe did we all share a certain experience? Can we find another pattern? Or maybe there's no patterns. And so we did the survey. We got 2,600 responses from every corner of the internet, from podcasts, from conferences, from, from Facebook, from Reddit, from Tumblr, from Twitter, from Instagram, from YouTube. Uh, and it was done absolutely by the community. I think we had over 100 shares and by the most diverse group of people you could imagine. Plenty of people that I have nothing in common with, people I've never talked to before, pushed it to go viral. People upvoted it on Reddit because they hated it so much. <laughs> so it was a, it was a really interesting experience. Uh, and we're still in the process of looking through all of the data, although we did recently publish some key insights and initial findings. And so for those of you that are new to studies, um, it's 300 to 500 is a really good database. That's like good data points. So to have 20, over 2000 is remarkable. That's a remarkable amount of information. I think one thing that I noticed when I was reading the study, it's so well put together. And we will also link to um, what you have currently available on uh, relearnalanguage.com forward slash who are language learners. That's the name of the study is that you're allowing people to put a name to their identity as a language learner. So some people don't need a name, but for me, it was like, oh, there was one question best labeled to describe me as a learner. Um, and some of the uh, terms were like language dabbler, casual language learner, language hobbyist, multilingual, a polyglot, a hyperpolyglot, et cetera. So I would like to ask you both two questions. Number one, do you identify as polyglots? And what do you consider a polyglot? Now, I will say for myself, because I, I definitely want to, I definitely want to be like full disclosure. I speak English, French, and Spanish. I'm a very sloppy, like beautiful, finger painting, messy language learner. And I call myself a polyglot. And sometimes I'll call myself a multilingual if someone doesn't know what the word polyglot is. But I proudly own that because poly means more than one. And glot means tongue. And, you know, if you plunk me down in some French or Spanish or English speaking country, I'd be able to get along. So for both of you, do you consider yourselves like what do you identify as in terms of your language learning label? I also like language hobbyists, but it sounds I don't know. It just sounds like I should be gluing like it sounds like I should be gluing like little tiny plastic airplanes together. So I won't use that. I use multilingual and polyglot. How what are the labels that you use to describe each yourselves? And then um do you what do you guys consider someone else as a polyglot? Yeah, I mean, it's um I have personally um uh, similar to you, Marissa, I met somebody who introduced me to the concept of polyglotism 
Um, for me, it was um, uh, my Brazilian friend, Jorge. He was the first, first polyglot I ever met. And uh, like similar to you, Elizabeth, I would say like, you know, the root of the word is that you just speak multiple languages. It doesn't define what your levels are. Uh, but I don't tend to include uh, languages in the list that I speak unless they're B2. So if I speak it fluently, then that counts. And since I have um, like in varying degrees B2 and above uh, five or six languages, I would say I'm a polyglot because of that. Um, but I, w- I would also say I would have been a polyglot from the point that I would have spoken like even two languages uh, at that stage. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, where, where would you be at with with that, Marissa? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I, I think it really depends on the context. I, it, within the language learning community, I love the whole polyglottery thing. I want to be involved in learning languages for fun, um, and I think polyglot's also a great marketing term. So I'll use it and love it in those ways. Um, I normally refer to myself as multilingual because for me, and this is something that is different between me and I think other, some other language learners is that I don't really, I do love learning languages. I love the process, but to me, it's, I'm learning it so I can connect with cultures and people and myself in a new way. And it's really, I don't really find much, I don't find it personally very interesting to only learn a language into the Bs. I'm really like a C2 or bust person because I want to know 500 pop culture references. I want to know the history of every place it's spoken. I want to know slang and, and internet speak and all of these, the, the geography of these places. And for me, that tends to be more what you would call, I, I think is generally called multilingual is, is also multicultural. So I don't feel bad about the word polyglot. I think it's a great word. And I, I also am definitely into the expansiveness of it, which is learning languages for fun, multiple languages. It's fine. Um, but some people, you know, have more strict definitions. And uh, I think it also tends to have like, yeah, like a, it's more centered around the ability in the language and the language itself, which isn't, isn't to me. Yeah. And on top of that, uh, multilingual is just easier to understand for most people. Uh, sometimes when I said I'm a polyglot, people are like, oh, so you have multiple lovers? And I'm like, that's, that, that's besides the point. That's besides the point, you know. <laughs> so go, going back to your, your survey, um, I, I'm curious. I mean, obviously, you, you're probably still diving into all, mm-hmm. all this data at the moment. But what initial um, like real information do you think is starting to pop up out of all of this? What What's surprising you and what's coming out as consistent in what you're seeing? Well, I think the, f- the first thing is that previous surveys, which then led to previous stereotypes, were done on people who identified as polyglots or hyperglots. And when we did the, the whole big survey, it was about 10% of online language learners use those markers of identification. So the previous surveys only focused on this one tenth of the of the whole community, and with that in mind, you know this this stereotype is probably not going to be reflective of the whole community. And sure enough, when we started to dig in uh, farther, it's it's definitely not. Actually, 
we can play a little game. So uh, I don't know. You two have seen the the numbers already, right? Yes. I, I actually haven't seen the numbers myself yet. So okay. So Benny, we're gonna play a game now, Benny. Oh no! I, I hope I hope my my stereotypes aren't gonna betray me here. No, no, no. I think and all listeners can can also play along and pause it if you want to think. Um, but Benny, out of all the language current learning community, what percentage do you think are cis men? And if somebody's not familiar with the word cis, it's somebody who is born assigned male at birth and still identifies as male as an adult. So what percentage of the language learning community do you think is a cis man? Hmm. Okay. So uh, given that you've gotten, uh, you you did a great job at getting a, a nice varied expanse, like you said, Tumblr, Instagram and everything, uh, compared to the previous survey, which literally just asked one forum that was mostly run by men, as far as I could tell. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna guess I'm gonna guess twenty percent. You're you're very close. About twenty-five percent of online language learners are cis men. And I think that's from what I understand. I have a lot of friends who do the fluent three months challenge and work coaches. I think it's pretty representative of uh, fluent and three months learners. So mm. Um, after that 25% that are cis men, about 63% are cis women and the rest are maybe a trans man, a trans woman, somebody non-binary, intersex, a whole kaleidoscope of other genders. Um, and so that was really the big first one is that previously, I think it had been said it was like 55, 60% of quote unquote polyglots uh, were men. And that's actually true to what we found is people who identified as a hyperglot or polyglot were slightly more likely to be male. But as, as far as the whole online learning community goes, uh, they're only 25%. Um, uh, can I, can I ask you a weird question? Like I'm, I'm curious from that. Do you think that's possibly because of just simply how men are more likely to, um, exaggerate their, or like overblow their, their situation? So maybe, a bit, a bit more humility is more likely that two people of equal ability, one of them will claim to be a polyglot and the other one will kind of more humbly say, oh, no, I'm not a polyglot. I just dabble in languages. Do you think that might contribute to it? One thing we we did ask for to test for this was we asked respondents to also self-report how many languages they spoke. And you can see this. This is a pretty complicated graph, which I can't explain, um, but you can see in the, the link. It, people who identified as cis men were more likely to report that they spoke a higher number of languages at a higher level than everybody else. So short of testing, we won't know whether or not that's the case. I think that for me, that's been my anecdotal experience, but whether or not that's truly the case, the data isn't telling us. Um, so as far, but as far as what they're reporting for their languages, how they're using the words polyglot and hyperglot, um, all of that, they are reporting that yes, they have a higher level of languages. Um, but yeah, outside of my own my own experiences, I'm not sure we'll find out with this data set. But it would be an awesome question for somebody to else to explore with another survey one day. This is a, an amazingly fun rabbit hole that we can go down because I think as a I did a little bit, just a little bit of reading on imposter syndrome. I, I would love to see if that's more of a feminine trait or a masculine trait. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't read any research on that, but I do know that being a language coach for fluent in three months, um, I see a lot of the struggles daily with 
my challengers. And I also saw it um, in Instagram when I was very active in Instagram. There was just a lot of people beating themselves up when I thought they were just doing remarkable. And I, I think that sometimes for me, because I'm I am definitely not even Benny's version of a polyglot, which is B2. I'm like a messy B in both, a messy higher B French, a messy lower B in Spanish. So, and if I got tested for writing, it would be much lower. And I want to say this out loud to folks so that they can hear that you can still be an expert. You can still be someone that has stuff to give to others and not be C2 in something. But my, my kind of thinking out loud is, um, for me, I find that's an act of rebellion or kind of like giving somebody like giving my negative self-talk the finger. I almost showed you both my finger. Um, <laughs> it's like giving my negative self-talk a finger and going, I am a polygon. I'm going to stand in this because my grandfather who spoke English, he probably spoke at maybe a high A2, B1 for 30 years. And he was multilingual. There's, uh, he was bilingual in my book. He could do everything that he needed to do. And so I love that you're dismantling that myth here. First of all, I don't know about you, but I'm not surprised that there were 63% cis women. That's what I've seen in, in our community. But what I also see is a lot of um, challengers and language learners that are just so mean to themselves. They're so, um, and so how did you, because I know that like me, we're like little twin twin self-development junkies, right? How did you take all of that reading and all of that life experience that you had prior to learning languages and learn how to practice self-care while learning languages? That's a huge question. I'll try to give some background and then some more actionable things. So the background is that I have been in therapy for 20 years now. It's is such an important part of my life. It's something that was in my life well before languages and will always be part of my life. And so I came into languages already with not just talk therapy, but some pretty actionable skills given who various therapists. Um, I'd also done trauma therapy, which deals with a lot of your views of yourself, um, dealing with, you know, potentially triggering events. And so I'll, I'll first say that if, if you are, if somebody who's listening is struggling with some, like, I'm like really detrimental self-talk, a couple of ideas on a podcast might not be enough. Um, and therapy is a great way to deal with those things. Even if you don't think you have trauma, even if you don't think that you really, really need it. Um, there's, it's, it can just be a really great part of your everyday life. Um, just like eating healthy, drinking water. And so that said, I think I definitely have had imposter syndrome and I've definitely struggled with, I think other people thinking I was stupid because I would make er like pretty common errors that every, every person makes. And for other people that would always seem like, Oh, that's fine. You know, they can do it. But when I do it, it just felt different. Um, and so one of the things I found was really helpful was sort of stepping outside of myself and speaking to myself like I was my own friend. And speaking to the part of me that was stressed out, the part of me that was hurting, the part of me that was totally triggered, and just speaking to them like I would be speaking to, you know, some some other person. Um, that takes a lot of mindfulness and a lot of training to really do well. And it's something that I still have to sometimes stop and step away from. And okay, like 
now let's just, I'm going to put down this textbook. I'm going to, you know, hang up on a Skype call and I need to just be mindful right now. So I think that helps a lot. And then I would say the other thing is tying language learning into, and this is, and this is very much why I think I, I would, I see myself more as multicultural and multilingual than a polyglot is tying it into my everyday life in ways where it's not something I have to be good at. It's just something that I live. And so, you know, when I'm cooking, I can just do a recipe in Catalan and that can just be fun for me. And it doesn't matter. Nobody's there. I'm just reading it and listening to some music in the background and doing my recipe with no pressure. Um, when I vacuum the house, like I'll put on a really good Portuguese mix and I can just enjoy it. Um, I really frequently do meditations or yoga in French, uh, which is a thing that I love to do. And it's again, it's just, there's no performance pressure. There's no anybody. I don't have to, I'm free from the gaze of others. I can just be in the language and develop these much deeper connections that come with, you know, feeding yourself and taking care of your space and just dancing around your apartment alone. And that has definitely helped bolster me up and feel like I belong with a language. Language is part of my life. And I am part of the population of people that speak this language just as much as anyone else, no matter where I live, no matter how long I've been speaking the language for. So it's, it's a, I would say a combination of those two things. Thank you. Cause it really kicks stuff up. It really does language learning. And for somebody who um, is pro- perhaps in the situation that you found yourself in a few years ago, who may feel like, identifying as multilingual as somebody who can have languages in their lives is just so far in a concept to them. And especially if they personally have, uh, like before seeing the likes of your survey, had this association that maybe I'm not the kind of person who can get into language learning. Like if you could have spoken to yourself uh, in those early stages to give yourself encouragement, what would you have said? Because that might help other people who maybe are not getting into this community because they feel they just can't identify with it and they're not smart enough for all these other things. Yeah, I would, first of all, say, you know, one thing that I I wish I had the vision for way back when was to think, okay, where do these myths come from that I had about myself that I'm, I'm not good at languages that, um, yeah, it was, it was the big one. It was that the two ones were languages are hard and I'm not good at languages. And if I had been able to at the time step back, I would have seen that a lot of the when I was younger, a lot of the adults that brought those myths into my life were just really toxic. Um, and that a lot of people who as an adult were trying to just gatekeep languages for me were extremely insecure and toxic. And I think that one of the best things I found in language learning is that the people who really love languages really are excited for you to love languages and really are going to be like, no, you can do it. It's accessible. And the difference is not that they're smarter, that they're, you know, nicer, that whatever, like they're, they genuinely are telling you the truth. And anybody who perpetuated those myths earlier in your life or those experiences that you have were probably unhealthy experiences in general, whether that was in school or, if you're a heritage language learner, like I am family, who's like, why can't you speak your language better? Like those are probably not great situations. Um, and so just, just look back and, and, you know, now that you're presumably an adult, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, what would you like to tell that little version of yourself? How would you want to talk to that little version of yourself? Would you, you know, allow that, that smaller version of yourself who's still in you somewhere 
to open up and, and, you know, drop their guard a little bit and listen to a podcast and, and believe the adults who are now speaking on this podcast saying like, no, you can do it too. Um, it's, it's, I think a more of a language learning is just a psychological and emotional hurdle. The intellectual part is fine. All of that drama, that baggage, that stuff is, is the harder part to get over. Yeah. It's an, um, I believe it's like emotionally climbing a mountain and, uh, mountains are all about stamina, kindness, um, having a good backpack, having good tools, having good community, you know, just, I remember when you came to women in language and all your little comments in the chat were so, I read them afterwards cause I was too nervous during the lecture, but I read them after I'm like this, this is one of my sunflowers. This is one of my pieces of sunshine that's going to help me grow. And I want to get to know her. You can be sunshine to other language learners, folks, that those of you that are listening. Yes, you can find us who you're talking to now, but you can also just go on next door and say, I'm learning French. Who wants to learn with me? I've actually had uh, people in my house, complete strangers, and we were all just learning French in my neighborhood. So Thank you for talking about the gremlins because it's something I love talking about because I think that we, we say, Oh, we don't have time. Oh, I'm too, I'm too busy. I'm this, I'm that. But really what happens is some emotional stuff gets kicked up a lot of the times. And then we tell ourselves we don't have time. If there were one sentence that I would like just surgically remove from everyone's brain is I am not enough. I am not for me. It was, I'm not efficient enough. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not learning fast enough. I'm not enough. So can we talk about, um, what kicked up for you now? Here you are an experienced language learner. You rock it in the, as the meme queen of language learning, you have learned several languages before this, you know how to do this. And yet you are now relearning your heritage language. Did some of those things get kicked up? And how did you deal with them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's still so I've been now at the time of this recording, I've now been learning Polish for almost to the dot 11 months. And I still in 11 months when I thankfully, my grandparents are still living as one of my motivations when I go see my grandparents, and they switch to English or don't have the patience for me. It's like, I just want to like, just lock myself in the bathroom. And that's so not like me. Like if, you know, in other contexts, I'm just genuinely really easygoing. I'm really confident. Uh, and then suddenly it's like, where are these feelings coming from? So I would say that's like a big, scary one that I'm still living constantly is having these interactions that should just be normal interactions, my grandparents not having patience for me, like, that's fine. Um, but are just emotionally blown out of proportion. Um, one thing that I did not do originally is I didn't tell any of my tutors or teachers that I was Polish, because I didn't I'm a citizen, and I did not want them to make any judgments about me or my life. Ironically, all of them had attended Women in Language or had found me in some other way. So that didn't last very long. Um, but eventually, one of my teachers asked me why I hadn't told her. And it's just, it's just so hard to explain that, you know, she, I think, believes she speaks two or three languages also. But sometimes you just have these bizarre feelings that that crop up with a specific language and a specific circumstance. Uh, and I'm still navigating that. I probably will be for quite a long time. Uh, and I'm doing the best I can. And sometimes that means doing kind of strange things like not telling your teachers you're a Polish citizen. 
Yeah, I, I found that um, for me, I was chronically ill um, halfway through learning French and I was homebound for a few years, bedbound for six months. And I did not tell any of my teachers that I was ill because I just wanted language learning or my friends, my community, language learning community. I wanted a safe place where it could just be about languages and not have to be about who I am and what I'm bringing to the language. Instead, I brought my humor and my my sense of adventure, but I didn't need to bring that. So I really understand this compartmentalizing. It's it's healthy. Now, Benny says, didn't you say that sometimes when you're having a bad day, you'll actually share it with the tutor? You do the opposite of me, right? Yeah, I, I use it as material. And uh, especially nowadays, I mean, in recent years, I've, uh, as you were talking, Marissa, about, uh, you know, mental health, I've absolutely embraced um kind of being a lot more open about my struggles and i i use that to share with my teacher and and it i never regret it you know even if i like i'm single again i have a bad date i'll tell my teacher about it you know it's great it's a great thing to chat about and that just kind of uh, it also helps me deal with that thing in my personal life by bringing it in because you know especially nowadays that we are kind of transitioning out of the pandemic but we don't necessarily, we're not being as social. Sometimes my language lessons are like perhaps the only actual interaction I might have that day if I'm still at home most of the time. So it's a great way for me to vent and just like, you know, to, to say, to share a story and, and take it down a notch from being this big, serious uh, thing that's dragging my, my feelings down in my life, you know? Yeah, I think it's a great, like, just exercise to do with yourself, which is what are my boundaries? What would, how could sharing actually help and just find a good balance for you? Because there's plenty of personal things that I share with my tutors. I love sharing good chisme. Like I love, you know, genuinely like knowing what their stuff is like and sharing my life. Um, but there's certain things that I'll just set a boundary to protect myself. And maybe that's temporary. Maybe that's a, a pretty flexible boundary. Uh, but it, it's it just as part of language learning because language learning is part of life. So um, um, like, do you have any, any things that you're doing to help you with, uh, cause you've, you have been very open with uh, at least on your social media and such of sharing some of these struggles. And like you said, you've turned that into an, um, a way of venting through your memes, but some, something that you have touched on is this feeling of shame that we feel. And especially like you said, it's uh it's kind of creeped in with your Polish, especially when family is involved. So like, how have you uh, begun to work through that? Obviously, there, you can't solve that problem, but how have you uh, found ways to deal with it? I think it's solvable long term. Um, I would say it's very similar to just um, my negative self-talk in general that sometimes creeps up, which I've, I've thankfully mostly beat. It's something that I've had my whole life and now only rarely experience. Um, shame is a little bit different and it's the same thing as just if, if anybody wants to get really nerdy, I suggest looking up, um, it's sometimes called parts psychology. It's sometimes called internal family systems. It's a really fun type of therapy you can do that I found amazingly rewarding, especially in the context of language learning. But I just step back and basically visualize a younger version of myself who was forgetting Polish, who was nine, 10 years old, who was absolutely convinced she was never going to get Polish back in her life, a little hot mess express, and just acknowledge those negative feelings, acknowledge the messy family ties, acknowledge that it's pretty lonely being in the situation and just be there for my own self. And now with all of these skills and friends and languages, be the adult that I wish I had. 
And so it's, it's a little, I would say, abstract and it doesn't, it sounds a little weird to say out loud. Um, but it's a really great exercise and it's really cool type of therapy you can do if anybody's interested. Um, but I, I find that that is often the source of a lot of those negative feelings is some earlier experience in my life that wasn't quite resolved and that no adult was able to step up and help me with. Um, but now I can be the one to do that for myself. And then also for my friends, because I have plenty of online language learning friends and we all go through these emotions, uh, but we can at least be there for each other. Exactly. And the there's a book by um, Alice Walker called uh, Chicken Chronicles, where she's raising these chickens. And she's a prolific writer, but in this particular book, it's actually a memoir of her. And she's sitting with seven of her closest friends in one evening. And they're talking about their loss of mothers. Uh, one mother was lost. She's alive, but she has addicted to drugs and is not able to connect. One mother passed away. One mother is estranged. And, um, in, in this, they're just holding their loss. And then they, and then one woman says, yes, but we're each filling a piece of the whole that we're missing from our, our mother. So it's the same, like whatever you weren't able to get as a child, you can give to yourself and also create a community that gives that to you. And I find that you do that really well. And one of the ways that you do this, and I, I want to name it so that other people know that this is possible. You don't just need to know Marissa or Benny. You can actually create this yourself. Is you sent out a DM to people that spoke French and you said, Hey, I'm every the people that you particularly wanted in your community and said, every Saturday at 7 a.m., I'm going to be speaking French. Who wants to join me for an hour? I've been to some of those. I want to come back because it's so much fun. Um, you created that community. What, first of all, were you scared to create that community? Um, did you have a fear of rejection or did you just feel like, no, these are all safe people and I would feel okay doing it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, that is something we started at the beginning of quarantine was just, I basically, there was, quarantine was hard for everybody. I won't get into the story. Quarantine was hard for everybody. I was suddenly very lonely, pretty broke, um, and very bored. So I had for at that point, like two years, been on Instagram and cultivating friendships that are just genuine friendships. One of the things we have in common is languages and that's what we share the most, but we've also talked about any little part of our lives together. And so, yeah, I just DM'd everyone and said, Hey, Saturdays and Sundays, these times, I want to speak French. I want to speak Spanish. Um, we had a short-lived Portuguese one too. Uh, what do you want to just hang out? <laughs> like, do you want to just hang out and talk with me? Uh, and because they were friends, most people said yes. Some people couldn't commit to it. It's no big deal. Uh, but I was also able to introduce friends to each other. New friendships were formed. It was just a really cool thing throughout the pandemic. We could sit down every week and we would just pick different discussion topics. And the only rule was it had to be in the target language. We were all learners. There was, I think there was some people who also taught the language, maybe as tutors or as um, childhood teachers, whatever, whatever you call it, a person who teaches children. Um, but I don't know. Um, but but uh, but additionally, you know, L2 speakers. And so sometimes we would look up words and we would need to help each other out. Sometimes we'd be arguing about which dictionary was the best. Um, sometimes none of us have any clue and we'd have to keep going anyway. Um, but it was absolutely the highlight of my pandemic. It's since fizzled out because we're all back to work um, for the most part. 
but it was a, a solid year of hanging out with the same rotating cast of characters. About 20 people were coming depending on the weekend. It usually ended up being four or five at a time. Um, but yeah, you can just, you don't necessarily need permission. You don't have to be a native. You don't have to be a tutor. You don't have to be a content creator. You can just be a person who's making friends online and hang out with those friends in a new and creative way. I mean, we would do, we've played some board games online in the languages. We did once a Taco Tuesday where we all prop the computers up in our kitchens and cook together. Um, you can just do it. And, and that's honestly largely the reason I've been able to learn languages so quickly is because I'm just doing it with friends. Like this, it's not a chore. It's just a cool way to hang out with people I like. And um, we've been talking a lot about your your past, your current situation, but I'm curious, where do you see this going and what are your upcoming plans, both with your languages like Polish and other languages and even with your social media and things like this, uh, this survey? What, what are your uh, long term plans with, with languages? So for me, this is very much uh, passion project hobby. I have a totally unrelated <laughs> career to languages and, and a totally different field that I love. Um, and that is how I make money in a life and all of that. So my, one of my goals is actually not to become a professional because I think that there's a lot of pressure to monetize hobbies and that can work. Um, but my, part of my career is actually in visual arts. And that was the original love of my life. And now it's like, I'm not going to draw anything unless somebody pays me. Like, that's not fun for me anymore. And I don't want to do that with other hobbies. Like, I'm very glad I have the career that I do. And I have my dream job. And it's lovely. But I still need something that's not linked to economic pressure. And so in general, I really I'm just a person who wants to really profoundly know their languages. And I just want to improve them for the rest of my life. I don't have any plans right now to add any more. Um, I love content creation. I think it's so fun. It's such a great way to meet friends and to have interesting conversations and to give back to people who have given to me. Um, and so I would call it all a, a nebulous deepening. There's not any big money goals, tests I'm taking, places I'm trying to get. Is just I. how deep can I go with these things? How can I integrate them into my life? What new ways can I find to enjoy them? And, you know, in 20 years, who is the person I'm going to be? And, and what does that person do for pleasure? And that's where I'm aiming. I still don't know, um, but I, but I can't wait to find out. Excellent. And one question we always love to ask people when they come on this podcast is what would your understanding be of the concept of language hacking? Oh, to me. Language hacking is figuring out a way to insert languages into your life in such a way that learning them and living in them is as obvious as feeding yourself every day. So with friends, with, with habits, with cooking, with listening to music, with Netflix binges, whatever that is. It is inserting languages into your life in a way that they are no longer conscious, hard things you do, but just a, a manner of, of nourishing yourself. Excellent. I love it. So this has been an absolutely fascinating chat with you. I've really enjoyed it. And I, I hope people um, will get some inspiration themselves from all the many things and topics we've discussed. 
And of course, in the show notes, we're going to link to your YouTube channel, obviously your Instagram and uh, this uh, research that you've done. We'll give all those links in the show notes um, so people can check that out. Um, But in the meantime, thank you again so much for coming on and we'll wish everybody a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. Okay, so at the end of these chats, we always like to summarize a couple of takeaways that we have from it. And I found uh, this conversation with Marissa particularly interesting. So Elizabeth, uh, what first, uh, let's start with you. What was your uh, takeaway from this? Um, Well, first of all, it was kind of a, this was a monumental episode for me because I met Marissa when I was just at the beginning stages of French and the fact that I, I didn't even think that I could speak these things. And here I have another human that is an incredibly inspiring human that I've only spoken to in Spanish and French. And I've created a genuine relationship, friendship with this person. That to me is mind blowing. If it can happen for me, I want to say it can happen for everyone that's listening. Maybe not with Marissa because they're busy, but you can have genuine relationships in your target language. The biggest takeaway with uh, Marissa was when they talked about inserting your new languages, the languages that you're learning into your life. You know, I never looked at it that way. I just thought, well, it's just a part of my routine, but you do insert it. Like I only watch TV in French and Spanish or some other language that I'm learning. And it's just, it's how I relax. So it's no longer, oh, I've got to learn French. It's no, I'm just going to turn on the TV. I'm going to watch Stranger Things. It's going to happen to be in French. And I am, it's a part of me. It's fun. And like hanging out with friends. Like if I hear someone at a farmer's market, God forbid I hear someone at a farmer's market speaking in with an accent. You better bet your bottom dollar I'm going to be talking to them because that I know that we have something in common, which is potentially a different language. What about you, Benny? What were your takeaways? Uh, so one of the biggest one uh, that we touched on a couple of times that I really think is important to emphasize for people is uh, Marissa was saying that the psychological hurdle is the true battle that we have to face. And when people get into languages, it's it's mostly the intellectual side of things that they're more obsessed with. They want to know the the techniques and the tricks and such, which are important, obviously. And, you know, I talk about that a lot. But ultimately, what's going to lead to your success is the psychological part. So that's what you need to work on the most. You need to see things like, is there going to be resistance from my family or am I, am I personally going to be feeling shame from this? And how can I work around that? And Marissa said that, um, you know, for instance, mental health and uh, mindfulness has been a big aspect of what's helped a lot over the years. Um, and that's that's something I would really like people to take into account, that when you're getting into languages, your, uh, your personal motivation, your psychological uh, connection to it is the thing that you're going to have to work on the most, because when you're motivated, the intellectual stuff will happen by itself. It'll, you'll figure out a way, whether you use the absolute best way or the second best way, you will use a way and you will learn the language. So I like that we touched on that because it's very important to, um, to repeat to people. So that having been said, if you guys enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a review on languagehacking.com slash review. We appreciate it. We read every single one and, uh, we always like to see your feedback and otherwise, 
we will definitely be seeing you in another episode very soon. So until then, very happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.